can't really sing. <laughs> la 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 Yeah. You're listening to the SBNY podcast. My name is Peter Kennedy and I am your host. Joining me again for the second week in a row is James O'Rourke. James, you're here to talk about Kirk Cousins and the Jets and the possible relationship that can be for the next five years and worth a whole lot of money. But James, how you doing today, my man? I'm doing great, Pete. Glad to be here. I'm glad to have you here with me. Not only are you a Jets fan, somebody who follows the Jets religiously, you are also, uh, if anyone listened to our quarterback draft class episode from last week, you have been on this NFL draft class. Uh, You can go back and listen to that episode where we broke down all the quarterbacks touted to go in the top 10, kind of, all, but all definitely first-rounders, that being Baker Mayfield, that being Josh Allen, Josh Rosen, and Sam Darnold. So go back and check out that episode with me, James O'Rourke, and Kevin Kennedy. Uh, I, I thought it was a good one. We broke down a lot of stuff, but we didn't spend that much time on Kirk Cousins. And James, I'm a little bit glad we did because in the coming days, or the days after that, we learned that the Jets are more interested than we thought in Kirk Cousins. How do you feel about the Jets' interest right now? I think it makes a lot of sense. Like we've talked about, Kirk Cousins, yeah, he's got a he's got a high floor. Who knows how high his ceiling is, but you know what you're getting with him. He's a proven commodity, and like we've heard, the Jets seem to be all in on trying to get him. That was some. That was pretty surprising to me. You know, I mean, it was surprising that they came out that they are going to go after him that hard, because um, you know we always thought the Jets were in the game, but with other teams like the Broncos looming, even the Browns being players amongst a few others, it was really interesting to see where he might fit the best, and more importantly, I guess where Kirk Cousins would want to go. Uh, but now that the Jets are saying they're going to try to do whatever they can to get him, it really makes it that much more interesting. So me and James are going to break that down. But also, just a little bit of a look forward into today's episode, we have two of the NBA outsiders coming on later to talk about, not the second half because we're already halfway through the NBA season, but the rest of the season post-NBA All-Star break and who's making the sincere and true playoff runs. So we got John Lucas Duffy, Frank Villani, coming in a little bit later to talk about the NBA but right now you got me and James. So James, the big talk today regarding Kirk Cousins uh, and the Jets is specifically the salary here. So I want to push that off for a hot second. I just want to push off the whole front-loaded $60 million thing, and I want to mm-hmm. talk specifically about Kirk Cousins versus the draft, right? So right. you don't exactly know who will be available, whether it be Darnold, Mayfield, Allen, Rosen, who the hell knows. But when you look at Kirk Cousins... And then the Jets' chances in the draft on landing a quarterback, how do you stack those up and how do you find yourself comparing the two? So I think you have to rank Cousins number one just because you know exactly what you're getting. I know we said we'll go into the numbers later, especially comparing him to other QBs, but you know you're getting just a solid quarterback all around. He's put up good stats since he's been a starter. And the draft is always a crapshoot. You know, you never know exactly what you're going to get. And I think, although, you know, it's going to cost them the most to do it this way, this is definitely the safest bet. And if they get Kirk Cousins in free agency, that gives them a lot of options now with that sixth pick. And 
if they stay in that spot, they're going to get a really good player. And maybe, you know, if there's a quarterback or two left, someone wants to trade up for him. Now, now that sixth spot becomes a hot spot for a team to trade up. So they can do a lot of things if they get Kirk Cousins. Now, I don't want you to give away exactly how you feel, but it kind of seems like you're leaning towards this is not a bad idea at all, and maybe the Jets should go in this direction. Is that where you're leaning? I'm okay with whatever direction they go, whether they sign Kirk or they go in the draft. I just want them to get their guy, so whoever they feel most comfortable with. I don't want them taking you know, the number two quarterback on their draft board. If they want Kirk you pay what you got to pay to get them. And then if they feel strongly about someone in this class, whether it's, whether it's Darnold or Rosen, then you trade whatever you got to trade to move up and get them. That's so as long as they're doing, you know, as long as McCagnan's doing what he feels is best and his number one guy, then I'm okay with either option. So it, 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 it honestly, it almost seems like the jets are in a sort of position in power, even though, you know, they are going to have to either give up the big bucks for Kirk Cousins or possibly move up a little bit in the draft to get the quarterback they really, really want. They have what it takes to make those moves possible. Uh, so it is really interesting to see where they go. Now, for you personally, I know you said you want the Jets to pick um, the quarterback that they w- would like the most, but for you, is there one guy in that draft class who you would like maybe to stack up instead of signing Kirk Cousins? I'd probably say, like we talked on the last podcast, I do like Baker Mayfield a lot. I do think he would fit into their the offense that they're looking to run with new offensive coordinator Jeremy Bates. But, you know, as far as someone you don't, you know, you don't need to fit in a specific scheme, they can kind of play all around. I'd probably go after, I'd probably want them to trade up and go after Darnold which you get the feeling that's that's what a lot of these teams are leaning towards. And, so, yeah, so I think if he's their guy, go up and get him. I think it would be absolutely electric if Josh Rosen's at the Giants and Sam Darnold ends up on the Jets. I think that would be, some, that would be something that we probably only see in our entire lifetime right now. Imagine the Jets and Giants both drafting – Top flight quarterbacks in the same draft. I mean, their careers will be put side by side no matter what, no matter where they go, because they've already been throughout their college career. But can you imagine Rosen and Darnold, Jets and Giants, or Giants, Jets, whatever it is? That would be electric. I don't know about you, but that would be really, really fun. Um, But moving back to Kirk Cousins, because that is why we are here. So we were talking before this, before we started recording, and we were talking about Kirk and maybe how he might not get some of the respect he deserves. So you had a couple names that you threw out there. I would like for you to share with the SBNY audience that would probably put Kirk Cousins in a little better light than maybe he ends up in uh, currently. Right. So we were talking before, and if I was just to throw these two names out, Matthew Stafford and Matt Ryan, would you say they're franchise quarterbacks? Literally without question. Exactly. So, and I think a lot of people would agree. And so, so Stafford's contract right now, five years, 135 million, and he got 92 million guaranteed. Matt Ryan's contract, five year, 103 million and change, 42 million guaranteed. 
these three guys over the past three years have all put up nearly identical stats, and I don't think Kirk Cousins gets the same respect that these guys do. He's actually had a higher completion percentage, just barely. All these stats, whoever I'm saying is higher or lower, is by like maybe one or two touchdowns or a fraction. So he's had a slightly higher completion percentage. He's sandwiched in between them in passing yards. More touchdowns than Ryan, one less than Stafford. You know, he's thrown one more interception a season than Ryan and Stafford both. I mean, his stats are great. And if you're looking at it this way, you know, Stafford was third in passing yards this season. Matt Ryan was sixth in passing yards. Kirk Cousins was seventh. So I think the contract terms that you keep hearing flying around aren't aren't really that crazy when you when you look at the quarterbacks that have gotten these types of contracts. So would you say you're not by any means scared of paying paying this man for four or five years? Yeah, I I would be okay with them paying. Like we said, we talked about the big number is the guarantee. So as long as there's some sort of escape hatch where they can come out in you know maybe the fourth year without too big of a cap hit if he's not doing too great and they can release him. But I, I think we know what he is. I think he's going to keep putting up these numbers. He's going to you know, stay around 67% completion percentage. That's what he's averaged the past three years. He's going to throw for over 4,000 yards, and he's going to have about a, a little bit better or maybe around a two-to-one touchdown interception ratio. I think that's exactly what you're getting, and that's these are the, you know, the prices that these guys are going for these days. And in, in five years, we're going to look at Kirk Cousins contract and he you know he's going to be the the 10th highest paid quarterback in the league not number one anymore so I really don't think these these numbers are that crazy and I think personally I would be somewhat hypocritical if I jumped on this and started harping on the negatives of possibly paying Kirk Cousins because last year when Matt Stafford became what I like to call the new highest paid player in the NFL because it happens every time a franchise quarterback gets a new contract whoever it is right the new guy is always the highest paid because that's just how the quarterback contracts are moving right now. I, I defended Stafford last year. I defended it because I said, what the heck else are the Lions going to do at quarterback? If they don't pay Matt Stafford, they're just going to go on the search and search and search and search. And you know who they would be like? They would be just like the Jets. So unfortunately, when we're talking about Kirk Cousins, um, in regards to the Jets, it, they're a new part of the conversation loops in. And that is the fact that the Jets have been searching for a franchise quarterback forever, for our entire life, for most of their existence. So I actually pulled up an article from 2017. Uh, I guess it was before Fox Sports switched to video because it was a written article. But they ranked the top five quarterbacks in New York Jets history. And just just to say the names out and not go too deep into them, I'm just going to say the names. Number five was Mark Sanchez. Right off the bat, but Mark Sanchez is number five. Okay, he had some great seasons. That that is that though. Okay, then we got Chad Pennington, Vinny Testaverde, Ken O'Brien, who's from the '80s, and Joe Namath, who's damn from the '60s. And do you know that Joe Namath leads the Jets all time in passing yards, in touchdowns, and all these stats when he played in an NFL <laughs> that was not even close to the type of throwing NFL that we live in today. So. My point here being, when the Jets have a chance 
to land a guy who's a walking 4,000 yards, who in a in his worst season of his career so far had seven wins in a, you know, decently tough conference. Or, I mean, a de- decently tough division. I mean, the Giants were bad, but obviously the Eagles are very good and the Cowboys are no slouch. He's a walking seven wins at the minimum. Doesn't that make you as a Jet fan just feel more comfortable? And then you could put some trust into the rest of your team, to the coach, the front office, to help out Kirk, but you have the main piece. Is that just me as a non-Jets fan looking in? How do the insiders no, I, feel? I I think, yeah, I think you're right. I I really think the only concern is that, you know, you don't want to handcuff yourself for years to come when hopefully you got to re-sign other really good draft picks. Hopefully, you know, they sign Kirk, they, they hit on another good draft pick at number six. Number six seems to be a really good spot for the Jets in recent years with Leonard Williams and Jamal Adams. But, you know, you just because you got to figure the Jets are going to have to do something to lure Kirk Cousins in this this offseason. And there's a couple wide receivers on the board. I would expect them to go after maybe a maybe a Sammy Watkins or uh, an Allen Robinson as their number one target. And then I really think you got something with that offense. But, yeah, I think. I think it's something they have to do. And like you said, just hearing that list, I mean, I think in a couple seasons you, you could see Kirk Cousins' name on that very shortly. It really is tough, man. I mean, it's, I, I sometimes feel bad as not being a Jets fan talking really passionately about about this subject because I know, you know, the Jet fan has specific views. And if they don't love Kirk Cousins – they really want to take that swing at that next quarterback. And you know what? If Baker Mayfield goes past six and becomes a great quarterback, maybe Jets fans will be kicking themselves. But wouldn't it be just as good, probably better, realistically, of a chance for a guy who we watched throw 4,000 yards three seasons in a row to lead this team to the playoffs? So, like, my last question before I I need a final verdict on you, before I ask you to put your Mike McCagnan hat on, (laughs) is having a quarterback that can just get you to the playoffs. Does that feel like not enough? And do you feel like Kirk Cousins is just one of those guys? I I think he can do more than that. Um, I think, I think the jets are actually building a pretty solid team right now. Like you look at what they did last year, five wins. That's, you know, five more than some people thought they were going to win. I expected them. I think in my preview article, I, I put them at four. So they, they outdid me by, by one win. But you know, I think I think with a little better team and what they're building and what they're gonna have on defense, you know, their receiving core was a lot better last year than people ever thought it was gonna be. And that was without Quincy Anunma, who's a pretty big part of the offense. You sign a guy like Allen Robinson too, I really think with Kirk Cousins at quarterback, that this team can make some noise pretty soon within the next couple of years. And I think you'll see Kirk Cousins winning some playoff games if he signs with the Jets. One more question. I heard some people today cite his age in some sort of negative light, and it kind of made me scratch my head. So if you get Kirk Cousins, we'd presume it'd be that $60 million front-loaded uh, with the dwindling as the years go on, but he's going to be 30 years old next year. Does his age mean anything to you, or is it a completely indifferent point? Not at all. I, I mean... I think he's hitting his prime. He's only he's been the full time starter for three seasons. He's gonna be thirty by the time the next season starts, I believe. And then yeah, like we're saying, if it's a five year contract, 
he's 35 at the end of it. I mean, by the time he's 35, he could still have some prime years left based on what some of these other guys are doing. So I think he's, I think this is right where you want. He's, he's got experience now and you know what you're getting. His age doesn't concern me at all. If anything, it almost sounds like you take it as a positive as he almost had his, his growing pains in Washington. And if damn, his growing pains look like that, what he's going to do in the next couple of years might look even better. So now James O'Rourke joining me on the SBNY podcast. It is time for you to put your Mike McCagan head on. Are you ready for this? I'm ready. Are you do are you actually going to move buildings? Are you going to take out the wallet and do whatever you can to pay Kirk Cousins or are you going for the draft class? You know, I would say so this is funny cuz I think if you asked me a month ago, I would have said the opposite, but right right now I want Kirk Cousins and just looking at what these other quarterbacks are getting and knowing that this is what these guys are going for. And he's right up there with the Staffords and the Ryans. I think, I think you got to do it. And then I also love just what it does for you in the draft. Now with that six pick, it's going to become, yeah, either someone's going to want to trade up to that spot and give you a lot because one of those quarterbacks is still going to be there or you're going to get a really good player. I think about, you know, if they sign cousins and then, if they get a cornerback like Denzel Ward from Ohio State, that secondary is going to look really scary really quick with those two young safeties and then a cornerback like Ward. So I just like the way it frees them up for the draft. I think this is what you want. This is what starting caliber, franchise caliber quarterbacks go for. I, I think you go for it. I like it. And I like that you take the whole situation into consideration because – what people kind of forget about it is that if you do go with the Kirk Cousins route, that sixth pick is back in play and anything can happen. And there's some studs out there, even a couple linebackers. Um, I know the Georgia linebacker. Uh, what's his name? Right, Roquan Smith. Roquan Smith. Is there a guy named Chubb? Am I making that up? Uh, he's defensive end. I mean, oh, okay. yeah, he's a guy. A lot of people have him going to the Colts right now. But oh, if he was there at six, yeah, I think long and hard about that guy too. Um, you know, I mean, depends on what happens with Demario Davis, but Tremaine Edmonds is there too, the 19 year old Virginia tech linebacker who's going to tear up the combine. So yeah, there, there are some studs out there for them. And that's even pushing away the opportunity to trade down or God forbid someone like Saquon Barkley falls or you reach for Calvin Ridley. There's options. And I kind of agree with you, James. I think the jets should take a shot on Kirk cousins and give captain Kirk a swing at being a franchise quarterback in New York. Uh, but one more thing I want to ha- I want to talk to you about why I have you here, and that is the New York Giants and the second pick. So Mel Kuyper Jr.'s draft, uh, mock draft 2.0 came out, which I, I always just laugh my ass off at because by the time the draft comes around, it's like, oh, Mel Kuyper's mock draft 19.0, and it's insane, <laughs> and nobody knows what the hell is going to happen. Uh, <laughs> GMs are probably telling him the wrong stuff on purpose to get out right. rumors and make stuff swirl and all this crap. But whatever. The draft comes out, uh, his mock draft comes out today, and he has the Giants taking Saquon Barkley at number two. So I want to ask you two questions. First off, do you think that works for the New York Giants? And second, is this uh, rumor or you know conversation going around about running backs in the top five or ten being a bad place to take them? Do you put any weight in that? So, 
Yeah, I think there's a few things to talk about. One, does it address a need for them? Absolutely, I think it addresses a need for them. So I think it would work for the Giants. Two, we kind of talked about it after the pod with Kevin last week. You know, there's a lot of good running backs in this draft. And there's going to be some really good ones left in the second round. So if I'm looking at these first two rounds, I think the way to maximize what you're getting with those two picks. So the Giants are picking, they've got two and 34. With that 34th pick, they're going to be able to get someone. I don't think Geis is going to be there, but someone like a Ronald Jones or a, a Sony Michelle, a Carrion Johnson from Auburn, those guys are going to be there. And I think I think you have to pass on Saquon Barkley at number two just because, not necessarily because of the, you know, the devaluing of the running back position, but just because there's so many in this draft that you really can get a really good one in in the later rounds. And I think it, it makes more sense to me for them to go a different way with the number with, with the number two pick, which was gonna be my third point, which is I think they have to take a quarterback there. You don't pick in the top five too often, let alone number two. And usually, you know, quarterback classes aren't this star studded. I think you're not there very often. You know Eli Manning probably has two years left in him at most, and that might be being generous. I think I think you gotta go quarterback there if you're the Giants, and then you could pick up a really good running back in the second round. Well, I'm glad, A, that we didn't talk about this beforehand, and B, that I completely, 100% agree with everything you just said. Uh, (laughs) If if we talked about it beforehand, it would have been too easy, but I just kind of told you I was going to ask you that question and pose it to you just how I did, and I, I sincerely couldn't agree more, especially, no offense, when you're talking about the Giants, they don't draft that high very often you know usually the Giants do what the Jets did last year and win a couple games by accident when they're in the dumps and get like you know an eighth pick or whatever uh, 12th pick but this year they actually ended up with the number two pick doesn't happen that often and this this is the quarterback class they're gonna have a, a clean pick at three of the four because we assume the Browns will take one of them and I think I think you gotta do quarterback I think you gotta do it because Eli like you said, has some years left. And I think if we expect the Giants to have another down year, say, you know, things hit the fan again, you don't expect them to be so bad they're going to get the number two pick. Even if they have a down year, they're going to be in that 6 to 14 range probably at the worst. And that doesn't guarantee you a great quarterback. So I agree with you, James. I think he did great. Thank you for coming on the SBNY podcast. Any last words? No, thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun. So James O'Rourke wants Kirk Cousins and thinks the Giants take a quarterback. Is that right? Absolutely. I love it. James, thank you so much. We'll talk to you soon. More draft stuff coming up as the combine the combine <laughs> starts in just a week, man. It's very exciting stuff. Thanks, James. All right, Pete. All right, though. Now it is time to switch over. A little segue action to the NBA because the All-Star break just ended, and we finally have basketball action back and joining me, like I mentioned before, is John Lucas Duffy and Frank Villani. Duffy, I'll start with you, man. How hype are you that basketball's back? 
I am so hyped. Yesterday, I texted you guys and I said, man, I feel like shit. I don't know what's wrong with me. I was just in a bad mood. And then I realized, oh, when does basketball come back? That's why I feel like shit because I haven't watched basketball in three days. I can't, I can't even survive without it anymore. Well, I'm glad you don't have to wait any longer as basketball's back on Thursday, which is today. And we got so much to talk about. Frank, are you pumped too? Are you, are you feeling rejuvenated? Yeah, man. I, uh, I just keep like looking for it out of habit on, on NBA.com. I just pull a tab up and I'm like, oh, yeah, it's the All-Star break. And I get real sad, but I'm ready for it to come back. Uh, I'm ready for it to be, you know, the final sprint. And this is when the real, real deal basketball starts to take place. When these guys are jockeying for position, people want to make sure they have home court. It gets serious. It gets a little bit more legit in these last few months. And that's why we have a ton to talk about. What we're going to do now, uh, we're going to start off with the Eastern Conference, and then we're going to hit the West after. And what we're going to do, we're going to talk about the big three in each conference. You know, basketball nowadays is all about the big three. You need three stars. Well, each conference, we think, has three star teams in it. So we're going to hit on the big three in each conference, who are the most legit contenders. And then we're going to talk about the dark horse. But you know what? We're a little... We're a little tired of that term, and quite frankly, what? How did that term ever become a thing? Like, what? What is it about the dark horse that makes it likely to win? Right. So we're gonna we're gonna call it something else, Frank. Frank, what are we gonna call our dark horse? We're gonna call our dark horse the albino rhino, baby. Because if you ever seen an albino rhino, I'll tell you what, you're you're shivering in your boots. Way more so than if you see an, seen a dark horse. I mean, that's it's not intimidating at all. If I seen an we're albino rhino, by a rhino, just in general, so I'm I'm scared. My boots are shaking. So we're gonna talk about our albino rhino, and then we're gonna talk about the last team in, last team out in each conference. The team, you know, sitting at eight or sitting at nine, who's gonna make the jump in, or gonna end up on the outside looking in. Uh, but let's start off with the Eastern Conference. So I will start off with the number one seed, the best team so far in the East, in my opinion. That's the Toronto Raptors. A lot of people are saying that they're revamped. They have. Uh, a new look, a new pace, a new style of play, and they're led by DeMar DeRozan, who's a legitimate MVP candidate. What we always fall back on is, are the Raptors going to be same old, same old when it comes to the playoffs? Do they have what it takes to make it past Boston, to make it past LeBron, to make it past the Cavs, and etc.? My opinion here is the Toronto Raptors are truly a different team. They play faster, they shoot more threes, they have a ton of players with experience now, I think the Raptors have as good a chance this year as any in the DeRozan-Lowry era to make a serious run and possibly knock off LeBron and the Cavs. Thoughts from you guys? Uh, I definitely agree that they're a different team this year. The only thing I'm, I'm wondering about is how's, how's Coach Casey going to do in the playoffs coaching against the Celtics if they have to play them, which they wouldn't until the Eastern Conference Finals. So, uh, Well, the season ended today. Um, I'm a little worried about coaching matchups because I think Stevens is going to outcoach everyone else in the East and also their top seven. I'm a little worried about their top seven because everyone knows when the playoffs come, they're a very deep team, but it all it's all about that top seven, eight rotation they have. Those are my two question marks. Uh, I just like to say uh, I'm going to stay out. Uh, if you listen to the last podcast, you know why. I just I don't trust them when it comes down to playoff time and, you know, making shots when they count. I think what you said off air, Frank, is that you've died on this hill before and you don't want to die on the same hill again. 
I've died on it many times before too. It's not like just, you know, one time. I've died on it like probably three or four times and I'm just I'm not ready to go out again on it. I think I'm done going out on that hill. <laughs> so a respectful decline from Frank on the Raptors. Uh Duff, <laughs> to answer one of your questions real quick before we move on to our next squad. Um you mentioned their their rotation and how they do go very deep right now, and actually their bench is just straight dominating opposing benches and sometimes even starters on other teams in the league right now. What I would say to combat that as the optimist look at the Raptors is this. So yeah, they have DeRozan, Lowry, Ananobi, Ibaka, and Valanciunas as their stronghold at the starting five, but then they have a ragtag team of, of guys who can all go in and have games, a good game on any given night. Those guys include Fred Van Fleet, De- uh, DeLon Wright, C.J. Miles, Jakob Pertl, who's pretty young. This guy, Pascal Siakam, if you watch him play, he's su- such a wiry, lengthy athlete who is really just all over the place. Uh, they they have maybe too deep a team for the playoffs, but in the playoffs, if Dwayne Casey can push the right buttons and maybe Van Fleet has a good game here, then DeLon Wright, then C.J. Miles hits a bunch of threes. They just need to have one or two of those guys. It's almost giving them better odds for their role players to step up when they have more of them to choose from. That would be my my uh, pushback on your comment. Fair points. Those are fair points. But got to keep it moving. Got to go to number two of the big three, the Boston Celtics, my Boston Celtics. They have the number one defense in the league. Kyrie is a total alpha dog this year. He definitely was – Say what you want about their recent struggles, which I have some concerns about. I am worried. Or Kyrie has been a definite alpha dog this season, which has been pretty cool to see. Uh, I said it before, Brad Stevens, he's the best coach in the East, hands down. He's a top three coach in the entire league. Um, but some question marks. They're young, they're young guys. How are they going to do in the playoffs? We know that Jalen Brown and uh, Jason Tatum have gotten a ton of minutes. But how do we feel about them in the in the playoffs? Are we confident? Do we believe in them? It seems like Tatum has been pretty consistent for a rookie. He hasn't had quite the uh, high peaks and super low valleys that you see from a lot of rookies. So uh, I'd, I'm really excited to see the, those guys in the playoffs. And the last one, Gordon Hayward. Is he coming back? Feels like he's coming back. And if he does come back, how effective is he going to be? I think it would be crazy if he comes back, but... Uh, I'm a little less in on the Celtics than you. Uh, I think their scoring woes might be for real. Um, and I don't really think the Greg Monroe signing makes much of a difference. I know you guys feel differently about that, but uh, yeah, I'm still kind of out on the Celtics. The biggest, at least, at least representing the East in the, in the, in the finals. Totally understood. And sorry to almost cut you off there, Frank, but the biggest winner or the biggest low-key winner in the Cavs uh, resurging here at the trade deadline could possibly be the Celtics, and this is why. Because if it turned out a different way and, you know, the Celtics ended up um, on the same side of the bracket as the Raptors, if the Celtics and Raptors faced off right now in a playoff series, I think I would take the Raptors. But luckily for the Celtics, they might have an easier path um, being on the opposite side of the bracket as the one and three. Actually, wait, hold on. I'm thinking about it now. I have this wrong. The Raptors might be the winner here if they end up being the one seed because then the Celtics and Cavs would be two, three on the same side. And that means we could see the Cavs 
and Celtics play before the Eastern Conference Finals. And in that case, if it ends today, that could be a really tough road for the Celtics, and then you might not see them come out of the second round. So this these last couple months here are going to be super important for that 1-2-3-4 seed because uh, in the second round, I'd much rather play Washington than Toronto or Cleveland if I'm Boston. Agreed. Good news about that point is it doesn't fucking matter because we're in February still. <laughs> well, I'm just saying, though, for for the next couple months here, Frank, who do you think ends up 1-2-3? Like, what does your gut say about what the standings are going to say at the end of the year? I think I think the Toronto Raptors are probably going to keep on keeping on. They've pretty much been a good regular season team for for the better part of a decade now, or at least with this combo of uh, DeMar and Lowry. But um, I could see the Cavs getting hot and maybe making a late push for that two seed just because the Celtics team has a bunch of young guys. And not that I don't believe in them, I agree. Jason Tatum's looked good and all that, but uh, he's also probably hasn't played this many games in, in you know a calendar year and things like that. So I do think the young guys have it a little harder when it comes to that. But uh, I don't know. I could, I could definitely see the Cavs snagging that number two seed from them. Duff, I have one more question for you regarding the Celtics before Frank takes us away. Um, they started off twenty-two and four, which means since then they were about eighteen and fifteen, which is just above five hundred, which would be quite similar to you know the Pacers and Sixers and Bucks of the world regarding record in that time frame. Does that super hot start and mediocre uh, since then does that scare you at all, or is that just are you chalking up to fatigue? Um, it doesn't. It doesn't scare me too much because, like I said before, they have a lot of young guys playing, and young guys tend to hit a wall. Tend to hit a wall, and even though Jalen and Jason didn't have like extreme nose dives in this season, you've you've talked to us before about it. Sometimes they have, uh, you know, they have a serious problem scoring. So I think this All Star break lets everyone reset, get their legs back, and then I bet you they come out strong again. The only thing I'm worried about, I would say the standings stay the same, uh, just because the Celtics have like 14 road games and nine home games. Even though they've actually been better on the road this year, I think down the stretch people are going to be playing a lot tougher towards the end of the season. All right, so if that concludes our thoughts on the Celtics, I guess I'll take this time to segue into the next team of the Big Three, which if you haven't figured out by now, it's the Cavs. Um you know, they recently made some moves at the deadline, got a little younger, a little bit more hungry, possibly. Um, I like the moves they made. I think it helps their team overall. Um, you know, LeBron is LeBron James. He's been to seven straight finals for a reason. And, you know, they're putting the team around him that seems to make him happy or, you know, at least not, if not happy, happier than he was before. Because if you saw him on the sidelines before the All-Star break, he was dancing, he was doing celebrations and all these things that he wasn't doing before the break. So I think the Cavs have some new energy, and I think they're going to come out hot in this uh, you know, final stretch of the season, post-All-Star break. Uh, yeah. yeah, I think LeBron's engagement is always the most important thing. The, his teams go how he goes. And his team before the All-Star break, I think everyone can agree, everyone around him was trash but he didn't look like he was having fun playing basketball. And the two things that are most important to him are winning and having fun playing basketball. And that's just always what's been said about him for years and years. And 
I think the fact that you're seeing him have fun, that's the most important difference in this Cavs team versus before they made all, all those trades. Because yeah, I couldn't they were, agree more. Because there were names on the Cavs that we all knew, like Dwayne Wade, Channing Frye, Zay Thomas, even the J.R. Smith, Kyle Korver, who are still there, they are all names that we knew. We didn't, even if we wanted to believe it, we didn't fully understand how bad some of these guys were, you know? like we, yeah. we Or how limited they were, at least. Like Channing Frye has been shooting the hell out of the ball in the past couple of years, including parts of this year. But he's super limited. And now they got young, hungry guys who are, or have probably been dying to play in the playoffs, like Jordan Clarkson and Larry Nance, and then Hood and Hill, who have some more experience, who have playoff experience. It's the energy. It's all about the energy for the Cavs, the E-N-E-R-G-Y, and they got it. They got it back. And they is it is it fair to say that they are the surefire favorite in the East again? I think so. I think so, too. Any team with LeBron is going to be the favorite as long as it's the Eastern Conference. Seven in a row is no mistake. Yeah. Because there might have been a serious debate. Like, if this trade deadline did not happen the way it did, this would be a serious, serious debate where we don't know if Isaiah Thomas is going to turn it around. Like, imagine that trade didn't happen. Right now we're talking about, can Isaiah Thomas figure it out after 15 games? That's if a conversation we don't care about anymore. amazing trade deadline, I would have... I, I was immediately going to say that they were not going to make the finals. Because if you look back the last seven years, it was, it, it was like... Like, looking back, really, was there any question as to whether they were going to even make the finals? Was there really any question? And the answer is pretty much no, uh, except for maybe that first heat year. But last th- this season, before the deadline, it was like they were legitimately the third best team in the East. Yeah, I think the Pacers team with Paul George when Roy Hibbert was still a basketball player, that and George Hill, actually, was one of the only teams that pushed LeBron to serious limits and even then we never really thought they were going to take down LeBron so it's pretty crazy how one trade deadline and all of a sudden now everybody's back with the Cavs on top but real quick before we move on to our next topic um, if you had a pick between the Raptors Celtics or you know at large some other team maybe our albino rhino who is the worst matchup for the Cavs just a sentence Celtics Uh, 76ers Ooh. Well, Frank, since you said that, and since the albino rhino is your baby, why don't you talk about our Eastern Conference dark horse, a.k.a. the albino rhino? So our albino rhino coming out of the Eastern Conference is the 76ers, as I mentioned earlier. Um, I just think they have a team dynamic that's, like, young, spunky, kind of like the Cavs now, just, like, full of energy and... I, I just don't think there's a big man in the East who is healthy enough right now. Shouts to my man Porzingis, but uh, <laughs> to guard Joel Embiid. <laughs> you said that like and Porzingis like, would have been in the playoffs or something. <laughs> yeah, but whatever. I don't, Joe, he's right about that. Joel Embiid is going to wear down any big man in the playoffs. That's part of the reason you don't want to see him. It's funny Frank said that because I was actually looking at the standings. And thinking to myself, wow, I really hope the Sixers jump the Bucks because I think that would be a really fun matchup to see the Cavs versus the Sixers in the first round. It would be a lot of fun because Ben Simmons guarding LeBron James, that would be amazing. Just like the future of the league guarding one of the best players of all time. This kind of the changing of the guard. And I think the Cavs still win that series, but it would be a ton of fun just, just to have, you know, LeBron is all business 
Cleveland is just so bland, and now Philly is just so hot right now. Like they're one of the most exciting teams in the NBA just because of the young guys they've had and the whole trust the process. You know, Embiid is loud, taunting players, flopping everywhere, working the refs, working the crowd, working social media. It's just a lot of fun anytime the Sixers are involved as a basketball fan for me. Frank, I think you were getting at this before with Joel Embiid being practically unstoppable at times. Another thing you can see with Joel Embiid is that if he, you know, starts getting hot or really starts dominating any team, whether it be Celtics, Raptors, Cavs, LeBron, doesn't matter. He is going to shit talk any one of them. And can you imagine a world, say we see Sixers, Cavs in the playoffs, which is a possible, possible first round matchup, by the way. Imagine six and three right there, or seven and two. Very, very possible. Can you see Joel Embiid toe to toe with LeBron and still trash talking one of the greatest players of all time? 100%. I actually expect it from him at this point, especially. On such a big stage, I feel like, you know, the nerves will be going and all that stuff. But a guy like him, I think he just, he'll keep doing what he does, keep talking shit, because he's right. There's no man on the Cavs who can guard him. So uh, I think it'd be fun to see. Just a matchup nightmare. He's definitely not scared, too. If you look at the All-Star game, when him and Westbrook were going at each other, he dropped a 26-footer right in his eye. That was amazing. Duff, you're going (laughs) to love this, by the way. You're going to absolutely love this. In our in our little fun scenario here where the Sixers are the true, true albino rhino, they take down the Cavs in the playoffs, right? And then LeBron signs with the Sixers in the offseason. Boom. Oh, my God. Hang on, we got to pause the podcast. So I got to change my pants. <laughs> and then, then the Kevin Durant meme becomes the LeBron meme with the my next chapter thing. It's going to be everything. Anyway, we're going to we're going to cite that LeBron played 2K with the Sixers and posted it on his Instagram story. It's going to be a whole thing, and you heard it here first. <laughs> I hope, I pray that you're right. <laughs> that would be I it. have prayed every night. <laughs> it would be truly, truly outrageous, uh, but I guess you can never really count out the NBA when it comes to off-season ridiculousness. Um, anyway, moving on, and non-off-season ridiculous, but mid-season ridiculousness was Blake Griffin moving from the Los Angeles Clippers to the Detroit Pistons, who are currently just outside the playoffs. The team just inside is the Miami Heat, sitting at number eight. And since we counted the seven seed as our our albino rhino, we clearly don't think the Sixers are falling out of the playoffs, which leaves one spot for the Heat or the Pistons. Who is going to be the last in, and who's going to be the first out? Duff, I'll start with you. Um, I think the last team in is going to be the Heat. First team out is Pistons, though, because I think last year the Heat, they went on that crazy run. They went 29-11 to end the season, and they were just – they were so close. It was literally on the last day they didn't make it. I think they're hungry this year for that, and Spolstra is is just a great coach. And their team, top to bottom, I think is built for better regular season success. Uh, I'm going to have to disagree. I think it's the Detroit Pistons. I think Blake Griffin's going to add enough to that team next to Andre Drummond and, you know, their side pieces to carry them to the eighth spot. And I actually think that's another team that's uh, a scary, scary for an eight seed, but probably still not scary enough to do anything. But uh, Drummond's a good passer. Blake's a good passer. It's a little bit of a dynamic they didn't have in uh, – in L.A., when Blake was there, they didn't really have uh, big-to-big passing like they do now. So I think it could be 
an interesting dynamic, and I think uh, I think they'll pull through and make the playoffs because they seem to be going all out for it with the moves they made towards the deadline. And it looks like I'm going to be the deciding factor here. It is truly tough, but I'm going to go with Team Duff. I'm Team mm. Duff here because I think the Miami Heat are too solid all around. Eric Spolscher, shout out to him. They're going to just do better than what they missed out on last year when they almost made the playoffs after this amazing second half and they missed it by a game. They're not going to let that happen again this year. Goran Dragic's an all-star. Granted, he made it in as a reserve reserve. He's still an all-star, and he kind of has been on the fence of that his whole career. Him, Hassan Whiteside, the the mishmash of James Johnson, Tyler Johnson, Josh Richardson, Kelly Olynyk. I mean, the Heat are top to bottom, very, very solid. And the wrench for me in Detroit is not Blake Griffin. I love Blake. I think he's going to play well. Andre Drummond I'm so-so about, but I think he's not the problem either. Reggie Jackson's coming back from injury, and they haven't exactly been better with Reggie Jackson. For whatever reason, he doesn't fit well with the team. He tries to do too much. I'm not sure what it is. Maybe he thinks he's better than he is. I don't know. But I think there's going to be a little wrench in the Pistons. Not sure if they get over the hump. I'm going Heat. Well, that's, right, the, that's the East, huh? That's the East. That's the East. Damn. All right. NBA Outsiders here. Duff, Frank, and Pete. We're talking East. Now we're moving to the West. We're trying to go through this quick so we can get through all these points. And as you can note, we're not talking about the trash of the NBA because let's leave the tanking for another day, right? We're going to hear a lot about tanking with this whole Mark Cuban drama, uh, not even regarding the whole sexual harassment stuff, which we're not going to get into on this podcast, but that's a thing. Thanks to sports. Yeah, we're going to actually stick to sports. Um, we're going to leave tanking <laughs> and drafting and all that stuff to another day when we can talk about some of the draft class, maybe closer to March Madness, and that'll be a lot of fun. But for now, we're talking about the good teams the teams that need to win games, the teams that are going to play competitive, real basketball. So let's go to the Western Conference, where that happens the most. <laughs> and um, Frank, since you got the last pick on the East and talked about the Cavs, you get to start us off in the West. Talk about one of the big three in the Western Conference. Uh, okay, so I'm going to go with the Spurs, all reliable. Uh, I know they probably bore some people, but... Um, you know, they are the standard act, the class act, whatever you want to say. They are those guys. They've been there forever, and they'll probably still be there as long as Pop is coaching. Uh, I know news came out yesterday that Kawhi might not be back uh, for the end of the season, but I still think uh, the Spurs are a force to be reckoned with, and they, they always will be as long as Pop is the coach. And I don't know how you guys feel about Pop, but uh, I've said it numerous times. I think he's. I think he's probably the best coach in of our generation in all sports. Yeah, and for those who missed the news, Pop basically said, uh, I'd be surprised if he returns this season, obviously referring to Kawhi. He basically said uh, there's only X number of games left to go in the season, and then it's a tough decision. How late do you bring him back and still still actually bring him back, try to put him into the system, system get his legs going, play him back into shape? So I'm... I don't know. I don't know how much I'm buying this. If he's actually not going to bring Kawhi back, we'll see. Because uh, it'll be it'll be interesting this summer if if they completely mismanage his uh, diagnosis and then he doesn't sign an extension this summer. That'd be pretty wild. But I digress. Looking at the Timberwolves, though, they're basically tied. I think they make the jump over the Spurs. Pete, what do you think? 
Uh, I hear what you're saying, and I, so is what you're saying, Duff, that you kind of would consider the Timberwolves part of that big three and not the Spurs? Because that's kind of what I'm hearing. They're definitely big three adjacent if Kawhi is not coming back. So I guess that is a big part of it. And you know the whole thing about Kawhi Leonard being away from the team and all that, and who knows if he wanted to stay there anymore. Well, Woj tweeted just yesterday saying that the 10 days that Kawhi stayed away from San Antonio, he was actually in New York getting second opinion for his injury. So there's a little bit more reason behind it now. Uh, maybe not as much drama, or if there was any drama that anyone believed anyway. I don't know. But If he's communicating with the team. Right. And he's not just pissed. Which wouldn't be too shocked, shocking if he just didn't communicate and wasn't pissed because he's Kawhi anyway. You know, he's real He's real kawhi so. Hmm. <laughs> he really is, though. <laughs> those, hmm. were two, those were two pity laughs, I can tell. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but who, who won't feel pity is the Minnesota Timberwolves. They're obviously never rooting for injuries, but with Kawhi Leonard out, they have a serious chance to strike and to get that three spot because they're basically tied in the standings right now. And Jimmy Butler is now the best player in that series if you put up the Spurs against Timberwolves. I'm sorry, Frank. I know you put the Spurs in your big three, and you have great reason why. Because no matter what, they're always a threat, as we saw last year when they took out the Rockets and James Harden. But I'm putting the Timberwolves in my big three. So I'm not talking about the Spurs. I'm saying Jimmy Butler is that guy. He is that good. And Towns is seriously, seriously coming around. You guys know I was critical of Towns early in the year, waiting for him to really step up. I think he's been doing that. And Jimmy Butler is a huge reason why. I'm putting the Timberwolves as my as the third of my big three because the top two are pretty obvious. A couple things I would be worried about in that respect is Timberwolves, they, they have guys. They just play too many minutes. They play too many minutes together. Tibbs is just I, – I really don't think he's a good coach. I'm still – I'm going to die on this hill. I don't care if he wins a championship. I'm going to be like, it was his <laughs> assistance. That was bullshit. Um, and, all, and also, Jim, like, Jimmy Butler is so desperate for rest. He sat out the All-Star game. Like, oh, I, 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 don't, I don't know if that's ever been done before, just sitting out the All-Star game for rest. No injury. He's just like, yeah, I don't want any more minutes, please. Yeah, you don't know what he was doing that weekend. He might have been get, having a good time, bro. Might have been. Definitely yeah, might have Blake, Blake's no longer in L.A. One of those Jenner girls had to be cuddled. Hey. Dating Blake. <laughs> we'll, say, we'll say Kendall. I don't know if that's right or wrong. Um, Kylie we just don't fact-check. Yeah, we so. don't fact-check. Also, the Spurs, they have 13 home games, 10 road games, and the, the Wolves have 11 road games and 10 home games. The, the Wolves have been pretty bad on the road, just about as bad as the, uh, the Spurs. But the Spurs have been dominant at home, 22-6. and six. So that's going to be like 10, 10 easy wins right there just because they're playing at home. Something to think about. And the real crazy part is with the Western Conference, um, maybe just a little bit more so than the East, but probably not too different, is that you know maybe you don't expect the Nuggets to take down a three-seed Spurs or, or Timberwolves uh, as a six-seed, but you kind of expect them to make it a long series. And every time you get in a long series, it makes the next one that much harder to win, which could be a little bit uh, of a struggle for a team like the Spurs and Timberwolves. If say they have you know a long-fought series with the Thunder or the Nuggets or the Trailblazers in round one, and then they have to go and face the Rockets or Warriors in round two, it, it really is going to make it a lot tougher. And that's a perfect segue uh, to our top two teams. So we have the Houston Rockets, number one, and the Golden State Warriors, number two. I don't know if there's too, too much to talk about 
regarding the rest of their regular season because they should both mostly walk to being the one two seed, whatever way it turns out. They're like a game or a half game separate separated right now. Um, but Duff, why don't you talk about the Golden State Warriors and just try to find any of those questions that we might have or that you might hear about and either, you know, prove why there are questions or prove why the questions are dumb, if that makes sense. So there are definitely some questions as to why they're playing so poorly recently going into the all-star break is probably just they're mentally and physically tired. These guys have just been winning for three straight years, four straight years going on four years and they've just been dominating the league. So I think that it's kind of hard to keep that edge going. Like Steve Kerr has talked about it uh, to to the media before where it's like, which edge is more uh, lethal when you're trying to win a championship when, when you're trying to prove yourself or when you're trying to uh, repeat and prove that it wasn't a fluke. And he said the tougher one is trying to repeat because you've been there, you've done that, and you're kind of like, oh, regular season. This is stupid. It's kind of boring. And when you the last game they played against the Blazers, they had a 50-point game from Kevin Durant, and they lost. So if I tell you the, the Warriors play a game and Kevin Durant scores 50, you're like, wow, he scored 50 in three quarters, and they just dominated, and he sat the whole fourth quarter. No, they lost. So I understand where the questions are coming from, having said that. However, I'm not worried at all because nice it's still the Warriors. We see, we see this all the time with LeBron's teams, and they're bickering with each other, and then all of a sudden they win a championship, or all of a sudden they're still in the finals. The Warriors are going to be there late in the playoffs. They are going to be there in the Eastern Conference Finals. They're going to be in the finals. They are still my finals pick for the West. And I think if you are worried about them having some disappointing postseason where they're not giving their best effort, they may get beat. But if you don't think they're going to be clicking and giving their best effort, I you're just dumb. I don't know what else to say. Uh, I'd agree. I still think they're favorites, obviously. But uh, I know I've said it on this podcast, and I say it all the time. Uh, I'm all in on the Rockets. I really am, and I think they're going to be the closest team, if not the team, to to dethrone the Warriors. And uh, I think it's super exciting that they're in the same conference. Uh, I know a lot of people don't feel that way and feel like, you know, the two best teams should be in the finals or whatever, but uh, this could be a real rivalry, uh, become a real rivalry if these teams see each other in the playoffs, you know, two, three years in a row. And I think it could be something that's super interesting and good for the NBA. I think it's a perfect time for that Kobe Shaq sit-down interview to have come out. Did you guys happen to catch that at all? I did not. So I, I no. watched. I watched most of. I actually I watched the whole thing actually just yesterday. Uh, even though it came out a week or so ago, or right, but right around the All Star game, and it was super interesting. And what I found most interesting is you know how Shaq looked at. at looked at his summer of preparation and following seasons after he got his first ring and then after his second ring and then after his third ring where then they lost in the finals the year after that. And it really just makes you think of like what these players' mindsets are like after so much success, after multiple championships and, you know, throw in the finals loss for sure, but they already kind of avenged that one. So that makes sense on why the Warriors have been a little bit lackluster throughout parts of the season. That shit is mentally and physically exhausting. It's something that none of us regular people can ever just understand, right? Like, 
we can't put our minds into the body and mind of Steph, Clay, Draymond, Kevin Durant, etc. So oh, Greg Jennings. <laughs> beep boop doo beep boop. Um, but that's something you have to take into consideration. So, but I do kind of agree with Duff though. In the end of the day, there's full expectations for the Warriors to be there. What bothers me is that people just act like, ah, oh, well, it's already over. The Warriors already won. They're gonna win. Obviously, like it's over. There's no competition. The Warriors are the champions already. Just, just give it to them. That really bothers me because that doesn't, that doesn't align with NBA history. With all the greatest teams ever, you know, even the Celtics and Lakers uh, in the '80s with Bird and the Magic, they didn't win consecutive championships all the time. They didn't. They make consecutive championships the way LeBron has seven in a row, or now the the Warriors are hoping to make their fourth in a row. That doesn't happen. It, it's just it's so infrequent in sports history for this to happen that when people just chalk it up like it's no it's a, a no brainer and there's uh, it's fail proof that kind of bothers me. So with that being said, you got to find the teams that are really going to push the Warriors to the limit where they might not lose in the uh, they might not lose, but they will be pushed to seven games or they will be you know pushed to their absolute limit in six games. And I think we can see that this year in multiple places whether it be the Western Conference Finals and in the finals if they face the Cavs. So I'm still picking them with the Warriors. I'm still riding with them, but it's going to be tough. And I think that's important to say. Seems fair. I mean, a lot of teams do make consecutive finals. Repeating is tough to do. You're right. But regarding the Rockets, the question marks with them uh, come along with reigning coach of the year, Mike D'Antoni, and also James Harden, and also Chris Paul. Three guys who, in their combined history, do not have the best track record when it comes to playoffs. Mike D'Antoni couldn't get over the hump in Phoenix. Chris Paul in in the Clippers. And James Harden, when he was with the Thunder in the finals, struggled. And then since he's been with the Rockets, even though he made one Western Conference Finals, has come up small in big moments. Do you think the three of them together, Frank, Paul, Harden, D'Antoni, and that uh, team of shooters and Clint Capella, do you think they have what it takes to not fall apart in the playoffs? Uh, I do. I think last year towards the playoffs, we saw like a very tired James Harden. And towards the end of that series, it didn't look like he was lacking effort, but just lacking something, something he didn't have for the entire year. And uh, I think now that he's got the, you know, the help of Chris Paul in terms of, you know, making plays and making everybody around on the team better, uh, I think we'll have a fresher James Harden in the playoffs, and that'll lead to him having a better opportunity to to dominate the way he does during the regular season. Also, quick yeah. note, Duff, before you answer, I don't know which direction you're going, but just remember this. Chris Paul, James Harden, Clint Capella, when they all play this year, the Rockets are 28-1 and one, or 29-1 and one, or 20, something like that. They only have one loss when all of their three people play. Yeah, you're a fucking asshole. I was about to say that. Um, <laughs> oh, no, for real? <laughs> yes. What? <laughs> it's such an important statistic. Um, yeah, that's wow, all. That's, that's what is that, like part. a third of the season? A little more? Then it's like 35% of the season, they have one loss. So you go 28 and 1 when they have their, their version of the big three. And I just think that them playing together, maybe they haven't played together. Ah, uh, nah, fuck it. It's, it's enough. Um, I think Frank was right. He, James Harden was just tired last year, and 
I got news for you. That's going to be Jimmy Butler this year. Fuck Tibbs. Um, <laughs> so the so the, the Rockets in the playoffs are seriously going to make some noise. The the only thing I'm a little worried about is their offense is less predicated on ball movement like the Spurs or the Warriors and more about one-on-one James Harden versus uh, um, whoever and Chris Paul versus whoever. And right now those two are like the best players in the league, I think, in one-on-one scenarios. But when you get to the playoffs and James Harden is being guarded by maybe Kevin Durant or Clay Thompson or Andre Iguodala of the Warriors, it's going to be a lot tougher for him to have that one-on-one success, I think. So that's why I still give the Warriors the slight edge. Sorry to steer thunder. I truly am. I didn't know you were going there. I thought you were going to come out with uh, a take against the Rockets and their chances, which you kind of did at the end, but you gave them props first. I apologize, though. Yeah, it's fine. It's it's, it's fine. This is fine. <laughs> not, not mad at all. Um, another team that can be looked at as mad because they don't get any love and they also still just can't win consistently. It's our albino rhino in the Western Conference, that being the Oklahoma City Thunder. I think there were a couple candidates in the West, that being maybe the Nuggets, uh, maybe the Blazers, I don't know. Uh, Dame Lillard might be an albino rhino all up in by himself, right? Because he just gets slept on, it seems, or he's always talking how I think he just creates him. that narrative. I'm a little tired of it, I gotta be honest. It was his first year being an all-star, and you were guaranteeing that's, that's before the season that he wouldn't do it. It's his third all-star appearance. Yeah, it's his third all-star. Yeah, he got, we also had the stipulation if he got in under so I'm pretty sure this is Dame's first all-star now. No, Am I crazy? Just, it, he, no, that's see, that's him driving the narrative again. He got snubbed exactly, last year. Exactly. <laughs> he got snubbed he two is, years ago. He's the basketball version of J. Cole, where J. Cole is just like, yeah, I didn't make the basketball team. Yeah, that girl didn't actually like me. And now I'm tight about it. He, this is Damian Lillard is just the actual basketball equivalent of J. Cole. <laughs> just creates this underdog narrative. <laughs> well, it, it's, it's apparently working on a lot of people, including us on occasion. But besides the point, our albino rhino in the West is the Oklahoma City Thunder. I'm going to just open it up with this. I don't care who takes it from here. I've been saying this all year on this podcast. I'm going to say it one more time. I don't care what team I'm on in the Western Conference or East, I don't give a crap. I don't want to see Russell Westbrook, Paul George, Steven Adams, and Melo in the playoffs. I just don't want to see him. Oh, you forgot that they're going to sign uh, Tyreek after he gets bought out. Is that an outsider scoop? That's uh, It's not necessarily a scoop more than a, a thought and a prayer, but... <laughs> I think it would be a great fit, especially now that Roberson's down for the rest of the season. I think they need one more thing, but like you said, meeting those three guys pretty much at any point in the season is just never going to be fun. Without Roberson, I don't think that they're going to make it past the second round because he was really what they needed next to Paul George to play some serious defense and match up with a really solid small ball lineup. And so now just worried about them defensively when Westbrook and Melo on the court together. Um, but I, they'll be tough, but I don't think that Paul George, Carmelo Anthony, and Steven Adams add up to Kevin Durant. I just don't think – or actually, Steven Adams was there. So I don't think Paul George and Carmelo add up to one Kevin Durant as far as overall impact. Like, obviously, yeah, their stats are going to be better game, game to game. If they're each getting 20, that adds up to 40. I fucking get it. Shut up. 
But <laughs> in terms of impact, like Steph Curry, they talk about him with all the time. Uh, talk about it with him all the time. Where if teams are, or if he's having a bad game and he's like pissed looking at the stat sheet or whatever, and then they go into halftime or before the fourth quarter, and the coaches will bring out the plus minus, say, "Look, you're plus twenty on the court. Like we just need you on there. You don't." He, it's it's hard to understand the impact that these people have on defenses, and Kevin Durant by himself is way more of a threat than those two combined. So if Ke- if they couldn't do it with Russ and KD, is they won't do it now? Is essentially what I'm saying. So my 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 Albino Rhino would be the Nuggets because right now they would play the the Spurs in the in the in round one, and Jokic would be the best player in that series. Right over so, Aldridge. LA was an all star fam. Y'all sleeping on my boy. Mm, uh, okay, yeah. How like uh, how on, on yeah. a scale of one to underwhelming, how underwhelming is Lamarcus Aldridge? Just like as a human being. Who, Lamarcus? Yeah. Um very I mean about as about as underwhelming as Al Hor. Like he wasn't as good well, Al Horford is top five and three poor percentage this season, so um, yeah, but Lamarcus Aldridge is a way better scorer than him, so don't don't come at me with that. Lamarcus yeah, Aldridge is a six-time All Star. He's a six-time All Star, and we just look at him like the Spurs are this uh, team of of nobodies, and we forget that he's <laughs> there because Kawhi's hurt. And then we go, oh yeah, it's just Patty Mills and Manager Nobly slinging passes across the court, and Danny Green running around. We forget that they have a six-time All Star on their squad. But I wait. just think Jokic would match up decently with him, and then if you go. You go outward, like I think player to player, Gary Harris, Will Barton, Jamal Murray is a better perimeter than like Patty Mills, Danny Green, and Manu Ginobili. Like, take that back. Nope. Um, there's the Spurs system might be better, but player player to player. Don't talk about Manny like that, dude. That's straight disrespect. If this was ten years ago, I would 100 percent take that back. In, wait, ten years ago, Manu was still kind of old. <laughs> yeah, dude. <laughs> ten years ago, Manu was still bald. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I actually kind of hope this Nuggets Spurs series happens because you have the opposite ends of the spectrum. the The Spurs give up 98 points a game, like the lowest in the league. They are a top notch defense and they move the ball like crazy. And the Nuggets, on the other hand are one of the most high-powered offenses in the entire league and give up a ton of points because uh, they don't try to play defense that much all the time. They try to outscore people. But here's the tidbit we're forgetting with the Denver Nuggets. Paul Millsap is coming back in like a week or so. Forget Paul Millsap. Exactly. Yeah, me too. I've, oh well, no, don't forget him. I forgot about him. <laughs> Very different. <laughs> I'm, I'm not trivial, trivializing Paul Millsap. I am. Forget about him. Why, Frank? He's a guy who's been around the block. He knows how to rotate on defense. He can shoot the three. He can handle the ball. Like what are you, what are you saying here? Because everybody gave up on Isaiah Thomas after his injury, so I gave up on Paul Millsap. It's not even close <laughs> to the same thing. Still give up on him. All right, that's fine. You want to be wrong? That's okay. All right, Frank, give me a yeah, good. Yes, so wrong about Isaiah Thomas, right, bro? We'll see. Wait, Frank, give me a good scenario here of the Thunder competing with anybody in the Western Conference. Uh, it's tough. They, it, I don't know, I've seen them play the Timberwolves a few times, and they really, really struggle against a team like that. Not really sure why, but they seem to play their best basketball against the Warriors. And I'm not just saying this to say this, but I actually think the extra added little you know, personal beef or whatever you want to call it 
could give them their best performance in the playoffs if they face against the Warriors. Just an opinion, though. I'm just looking forward to seeing playoff Paul George on a team with some help because playoff Paul George has done some pretty cool things in his career, even though they haven't led to winning series all the time because he's run into LeBron James his whole career. Well, now he's next to Russell Westbrook, and he's next to Steven Adams, who that is the big three of the Oklahoma State Thunder, by the way. It's not Melo, unfortunately. And then they got a guy who's a Hall of Fame scorer. In Mellow. So, Wait, I thought it was Alex Abrinas. <laughs> the Hall of Famer or the big three? For the big three. <laughs> or both, maybe. Uh, and also, yes. don't sleep on Terrence Ferguson. He might be a rookie, but he got some, something to prove out there. Yeah, that's your boy, Terrence Ferguson. Shout out to Terrence Ferguson, man. Quick note on playoff Paul George. Uh, back when playoff Paul George was on the Pacers and they kept running into the heat, Hands down, no question, the second best player in those series was Paul George, LeBron James, not Dwayne Wade or Chris Bosh or anybody on the Heat. It was one, two, LeBron, Paul George. Strong, mm-hmm. strong agree. And those Pacers teams, PG was doing all the scoring, and he was playing obviously defense. He was playing. He was defending LeBron. That, that team was just more based around it was, their it defensive was, structure, and this team is certainly based around the offense. It was Paul George and Lance Thomas responsible for getting buckets. That's, yeah, oh my that's god, act, that's actually not a joke. Well, actually. no, Lance Thomas. Yeah, you mean oh, no. Lance Stevenson? Lance Stevenson. Yeah, sorry, yeah, that's what I meant. My bad. Yeah, Lance, Lance Stevenson's Stevenson. number one job was to psych out LeBron. Everyone knows that. <laughs> Blowing in his ear at the foul line. That was legendary. Seriously legendary. Um, Duff, real quick before I move on, you said something egregious. You said this team, the Oklahoma State Thunder, is based on offense. That's kind of. The opposite. Either they've been a, a much stronger defensive team than offensive team. Yeah, bro. Paul George is like DPOY for defensive player of the year, and Steven Adams is as legitimate a rim protector as the league has. You're right. Okay, maybe I misspoke on that. I think I was just getting towards. Um. No. Yeah, you're right. I I, I, I am. Yeah, yes. I am worried about their offense because I'm just watching Russ before the All Star break chucking shots and if he's not making shots he, he is like essentially worthless on the court because like i said before if steph is not severely less effective not worthless because if steph isn't playing well like we talked about plus minus is amazing russ doesn't do anything without the ball so he's not a threat unless he has the ball in his hands and if he has the ball in his hands and he's not making shots then he's just handing over possessions to the other team there are occasions, and we do got to move on, but there are occasions where Russ shoots so many times in a game where I literally cringe when I see him pull up for a jump shot. But then in the fourth quarter, he hits like four in a row, and I'm just like, well, I guess I should just go F myself. Um, but playoff <laughs> Russell Westbrook, it's just like, a, it's a toss-up, man. Like, if he's shooting, he's he's ridiculous. He's unstoppable. He's the best player on the court. But if he is putting out a two-for-eight performance from three, sometimes worse than that, it is literally hard to watch sometimes. So the Thunder are one of the most interesting teams Wish they still had Roberson. We'll see if they make a move, and we'll see if they can make some noise. But on to our last segment tonight in the Western Conference. We need to talk about our last in and last out. So on the teetering point here, we have a handful of teams. We have the Portland Trailblazers, Denver Nuggets, and New Orleans Pelicans all in the playoffs, 6-7-8 right now. And then right on the outside, we have the Clippers and the Jazz right on the outside, basically with the exact same record. The Jazz have two more losses, but... They're on an 11-game win streak into the All-Star break. Frank, I'll go to you first. Who's your last in, and who's your first out? Um, okay, this is tough. Um, 
Can I have my options again? Um, who's Sorry. who's not making it out of the Pelicans, Blazers, Nuggets, and who's making it out of the Clippers, Jazz? So not making it is going to be the Pelicans, and my last team in is going to be Portland. Uh, no. Did I do that right? You need to add one. If the Pelicans drop out, one more needs to pop in, the Clippers or the Jazz. Uh, I'll throw the Jazz in there because my biggest worry with the Jazz preseason was how they were going to fare with the parting of Gordon Hayward and Donovan Mitchell is a special player and it's not even you can't even say he's having a special season just for a rookie the guy's just having a straight up phenomenal season and I think he could be that scoring guy for them so I'm going to put the Jazz up ahead I love that system I love their defense and I have faith in young Donovan Mitchell uh, I also think the Pelicans don't make it, which is funny because earlier, I think it was today or yesterday. Uh, no, it was it was Wednesday or Tuesday. I think it was Wednesday. Um, Anthony Davis said if him and Boogie were playing together in the playoffs, he could definitely see them going to the finals, which is funny because I don't even think they cracked, cracked the top four or five in the standings. So I, I'm – pretty certain that that wasn't true and if he doesn't make the the playoffs again what is that he's, he's made it once in six years yeah six uh, years. Pretty- and he got swept the one time so i guess that i heard this uh on a on a different podcast it was like someone was talking to kevin garnett and he's like my only regret playing is i stayed in i stayed in minnesota five years too long so i wonder if that's going to be you know what we have with anthony davis I already feel it with Andy Davis, man. He should. Everyone, if you get drafted to the Pelicans and you're really good, get the hell out. Just get out. Yeah, seriously. That was. I felt the same way. As soon as he got drafted, he's already spent too much time in New Orleans. Demand your owner <laughs> to move the franchise to Seattle or trade him. You have two options, Mister Owner, sir. Move this franchise to Seattle or trade me and get something. I don't care. You get something in return, sure. But like, I need out. I mean, like the Pelicans, they were really fun with Boogie and and Anthony Davis. And you know what? Maybe he took it too far. And it's really easy to say that they would have made the finals now that Boogie's out because there's nothing to base it off of now. But if Boogie was still healthy right now, you're going to look at this team as a problem. You're going to look at them as how do we attack those two? How do we guard them? What do we do with Boogie? Boogie's never played in the playoffs. This was his first shot. This was his chance. And that's why it crushes me so hard that he got knocked out this year. Because think about... Think about the Warriors having to deal with DeMarcus Cousins and Anthony Davis in the first round, or the Rockets. It just it makes it for a more interesting series, and maybe the Pelicans don't win the series, and they get knocked out in the first round anyway, but I don't see Boogie and Anthony Davis getting swept by anybody, pretty much. So, yeah. it's it's and tough. just having more stars in a series is always better. Like we were talking exactly. about before, I think the Heat are going to make it over the Pistons. But who's going to be more exciting to watch in the playoffs? The Pistons, because they have Drummond and they have Griffin. 100%. So, unfortunately, I am siding with both of you guys. The Pelicans are out. Let's go, Jazz. Quinn Snyder, one of the top coaches in the league. He gets no love unless in, like, the real inside basketball circles or or the NBA outsiders basketball circles. Depends how you look at it. Um, but Quinn Snyder's dope. Donovan Mitchell's really, really good. And they have a team who knows their role Shout out Joe Ingles. Shout out the Jazz. They're not going to go on a win streak forever, but they're making the damn playoffs. I feel comfortable with that.
Yeah. Uh, I'm, are you not worried even a little bit about the, you know, like going down the stretch, you're really relying on a rookie to, to put you, to get you in the playoffs, take you where you need to go. I think it would be an amazing thing if you did it. And I'm not, I'm not, you know, wishing against it in any way. I just find it to be a little far-fetched. Like if, if I would lean towards the Clippers to make the playoffs rather than the, rather than the jazz. Would you lead towards just, the Pelicans over the jazz? Excuse me? Would you lean Pelicans over the jazz? Mm, I mean, the jazz, they just, look, look we're, we're talking about the jazz in such a way. What, what, what's their record? They're like 30 and 28 now. Yes. So, yeah, right now they're 30 and 28. And they went on an 11-game win streak to get there. Think about it. They were 19 and 28 before they went on this win streak. So I, I think we're all kind of getting blinded by this amazing run that they're on right now. And I, I want to see, see a little bit more coming out of the All-Star break. If I, I want to see them play a couple games. Like, I'm not saying if they lose those games, I'm totally out. I just want to see how they play them, how, how they respond. What, what is their, like, what's the feel of the team? Because a lot of the stuff I get is not from looking at numbers. It's just from watching games, looking at the guys, looking at their body language, and how well they execute certain things at end of games, out of, time, out of timeouts, defensively and offensively, how organized they are as a team. Quinn Snyder is a coach you say is – everyone says, you know, he's a good coach, solid system. He gets the most out of his players, kind of like Brad Stevens at Jace. So uh, – I'm not rooting against the Jazz in any way. I think it would be awesome to see a rookie carry his team to the playoffs. I just, I don't know if I believe it's going to happen. Quinn Snyder is the coked out degenerate version of Brad Stevens. Yeah, dude. He what? What? I don't know anything about his background. He looks like a like a Batman villain or some shit. Oh yeah, he's he used to be a lawyer, bro. And he also coached overseas, like in in different countries. I'm not sure exactly where, but Oh, so he's giving his players steroids. The actual <laughs> oh, the, the the actual coked out whatever version of Brad Stevens you were talking about is actually uh Kenny Atkinson, the Nets coach. <laughs> yes, mm. close. I I think if he was if he was as good a coach as Quinn Snyder, I would give it to him. But Quinn Snyder has a little bit more of a track record because he uh had the Jazz being pretty impressive last year, but Kenny Atkinson is right there. He's a pretty Kenny crack, crackhead version. And the Nets now are probably going to be known kind of like the Miami Heat is, like one of the better organizations to come and like revitalize a dude. You know, you know what I'm saying? Shout out Spencer Dinwiddie. Exactly. Uh, Duff. Also, one more thing on the Jazz quickly: they were 19 and 28, playing a lot of games without Rudy Gobert. Remember that. He's back. That's true, but Rudy Gobert is like he's not on the court for them at the end of game sometimes. Which, I mean, I heard I from what I've heard and read, it's not because he, he's not upset about it. It was like you know, Favors playing better than him gave him the best chance to win, which is what you want to hear. But I like this guy. We talk about him every year as a potential defensive player of the year candidate, and it's like I want a little more from Gobert. I just I want a little more. Like I know he's great on defense. I just want I want a little bit more of an offensive threat. Just throw him a couple lobs and just let him posterize some people. Like you think of a sick dunk Rudy Gobert has had? I don't know. I don't. Yeah, actually, I can. Like I don't know. I, I kind of feel like you're, right, well, you're my a huge right jazz fan. I'm, I'm I'm looking at my jazz hat right now, but my television. You're the biggest jazz fan I know, but you're also the biggest Knicks fan I know. So. <laughs> 
<laughs> That's a weird place to be in in life, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my favorite teams are the Jazz and the Knicks. Eesh. That's when people Eesh. go, what happened to you? <laughs> Some people say, like, how old Who are you? Who did this to you? That's what I'm Were saying. Were you even alive to watch the days of Stockton alone? Like, what? I was a little boy. <laughs> I was a little, little boy. But anyway, this has been fun, man. This is awesome. I'm very excited that basketball is back. Hopefully everybody listening tonight enjoyed talking about a bunch of different teams in the East and West. Uh, truly the contenders, the teams that matter, the teams that are going to win games, be in the playoffs, who we're going to be watching when it comes summertime. Uh, we're going to leave the tanking and talk, the tank talk. Maybe we'll call it the tank talk. I don't know. Uh, to when it comes March Madness time, we'll talk about some of these prospects and all that stuff. It's going to be a ton of fun. Uh, also, the Knicks are playing their young guys. Frank, you got any last words uh, on the Knicks playing young guys coming up? Um, I hope one of the many guards that we are trying out fits and works and is a part of the future. Simple. Enough. I don't know which one that's going to be, but... I hope it's one of them. Looks like Moutier might get the nod to start off the bat, by the way. Um, Duff, any last words? NBA outside of the week, Mike Neal Aquino. Because if Moutier's starting, I'm 100% convinced that he's banging, like, that Frank Neal Aquino is banging James Dolan's daughter. <laughs> he's my improv outside of the week right there. I like it. Um, on the quickest side, Frank has been very tired, apparently, according to Jeff Hornacek. His knee's been bothering him. Because he's, they're saying because he's 19 and just you know a young man who's tired. So hopefully, a little rest didn't help. I mean, didn't hurt him. Only made him a little bit stronger for the second half of the season. And he comes out and shows a couple things. That's all we can hope for. Uh, but this is the NBA Outsiders for Duff Frank. I was gonna say and Bab. Shout out Bab. Outside, actually this Justin Bab. NBA Outsider of the Week. Shout out to our man Justin Bab. He's been super busy. Hasn't been able to pod with the boys. We miss you. Uh, hopefully your process and your Sixers make a little run in the playoffs yeah he actually texted us during the pod he said he ran into someone while he was at work and they were like oh wait man we really listen to the podcast we love it you know like i, I started listening to it i got my friend into it whatever uh his dad actually he got his dad yeah, into it he got his dad into it he's like uh but where you been bro what what happened so yeah yeah shout out bab we all miss him for real shout out bab and shout out bab's friend and his friend's dad for listening to the podcast yeah being a real one he know, knows he's not doing it right now <laughs> yeah that's that's real that's really real <laughs> where have you been the last few episodes bro <laughs> all right man this is nba outsiders the sports blog new york podcast thanks for listening don't forget to subscribe rate and review the sports blog new york podcast nba outsiders mashup hopefully you guys enjoyed and better yet enjoy the rest of the nba season we'll be back next week with more content thank you for listening have a great day